Since its inaugural flight 12 years ago, Honor Flight Chicago has flown over 8,700 veterans to the nation's capital for their day of honor and thanks. Mary Patinato was there at the beginning. She was the principal co-founder of an effort that began as an expression of love for her veteran father. She felt it only natural that that expression be extended to others. And her joy comes in the heartfelt expressions of thanks from the veterans she honors. Mary used to joke that she was the CEO and janitor of Honor Flight Chicago. She did it all. After many years at the helm, Mary has stepped back as CEO, but remains as a member of the Honor Flight Chicago Board of Directors. She remains tireless, and she knows many a remarkable story about Honor Flight Chicago vets. We invited Mary to share some of them in this episode of Honor, Thank, Inspire. It has been said that no one says no to Mary Pettinato. <laughs> Is this true? <laughs> As far as complete strangers that are walking by that, that I recruit to be volunteers or guardians, yes. As far as veterans who feel as if they don't deserve to be honored because they didn't serve front lines, yes. Mm -hmm. And there are many of those who say, I'm not deserving of this. And you twist arms to say, yes, you are. You were part of the deal. Absolutely. In World War II, for, for every World War II vet on the front lines, 16 men and women made it possible. Let's uh, wind the clock back a bit to 2008 or before then. Uh, this was your baby, and you had two friends who were with you when you began Honor Flight Chicago. What was the inspiration? I was visiting my dad and mom in, in Florida, and mom was still asleep early in the morning, and dad and I are chatting, and I said, you know, dad, you're you're, you're 89 years old. If you were on your deathbed right now, what would you say you missed? What would you say you wish you had done? There was silence, and he said, more than anything, I wanted to see my memorial. But I'm too old. I'm in a wheelchair. I'm on oxygen. I'm not going to do it. I said, Dad, who's your favorite daughter? I'm going to take you to see your memorial. And... Dad, Mom, and I headed off to Washington, D.C. And he was right. It's really a challenge to travel with someone in a wheelchair and oxygen. Um, the first attempt at the airport was wrong. The, the oxygen that was on the website that we said we could get is not the right one. We had to head back home and get the right oxygen. Again, you know, pay for the oxygen and, and get that delivered emergency. And it just, it went on and on. I... I uh, rented a wheelchair was twice the size of my dad or any door frame. And <laughs> so it was a challenging trip. But when we were at the World War II Memorial, what we saw are volunteers and veterans all coming out to say thanks and all honoring their veterans. Many different honor flight hubs across the country had already started. How did your dad react to that? Oh, all he wanted to do was get get with a veteran. He wanted to talk to any veteran that would be willing to talk with him. He, he wanted to, um, he asked me to push up his wheelchair next to any veteran and he'd say, where'd you serve? And, and then he would share where he served and, and talk with them. Um, it, I didn't realize the importance of connecting him with veterans or the importance of saying thanks. In my mind, this was a trip for him to see the memorial. And I was like, okay, dad, now let's go over here and see this. Okay, let's go here and see this. And 
he didn't really want to see the memorial. He wanted to be surrounded by his comrades. Right. It's that exercise and camaraderie that's so important. Yes. So you came home from the trip with your dad and you said to yourself, what? What am I gonna, how can I make this bigger? How can I make this bigger? How can I honor dads and moms like mine? And so Honor Flight Chicago began. Uh, three other women and myself started it. And um, one uh, never knew her grandfather. Uh, her grandfather died during the war and her mother. And then the other wanted to honor her father as well as her husband. Back then, Mary, did you have any notion of how enormous this undertaking was going to be? None. We really did think it was not a one and done, but a few flights, and we'd recognize our World War II veterans, and we'd say thanks, and we'd show them their memorial, and, and they'd get a chance to be with other veterans. We had no idea how this would evolve, and we had no idea how much it would mean to the veterans, to their families, to the neighbors of the veterans, to everyone whose, li um, whose life was touched by a veteran. So there's an, an, an enormous amount of logistics that go into this. Yes. And you build as you grow. Do you remember the first flight? Yes, very much so. What happened? Uh, we flew 65 veterans and 35 guardians. A guardian is our choice of words for someone who is with the veteran all day, and he or she, their most important job is to make sure the veteran has the most enjoyable day that they can have. And um, the veterans were, were very spry. They were uh, very active. Um, we had many, we had 65 wheelchairs to accommodate them, and, and few were in them. Um, but the logistics of it evolved. We didn't know how many nurses, how many doctors we should have. We didn't um, we didn't have the, the same um, joys that we have now, such as a police escort, so we sat in traffic for a long time. Um, you know, we had allowed too much time at one memorial and not enough at another, and uh, we've learned so much since then. The inaugural flight is the learning experience, but you continue to learn with, with, with each subsequent flight. Absolutely. Um, how, how you adjust. Um, and it's a real challenge because a lot of these men and women are of an age and have physical conditions that don't allow them to be spry and walk all over the place. They've got to have attention. They've got to be in a wheelchair for many of them on what is a very long day that begins at 4, 4 a.m. in the morning, right? Right. That's a tough challenge for some of these, uh, some of these veterans. Absolutely. It's very rare that we say no to a veteran to fly. Very, very rare. And I, you know, you read the medical notes, you know, double amputee, um, uh, diabetic, a high blood pressure, good to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so for something, someone like that, we would have a, perhaps a guardian who's a big, strong fellow, as well as a doctor or a nurse attending to just that veteran. As the flights progress, you're in D.C. at the World War II Memorial, and sometimes Bob Dole would come out and <laughs> say hello to the vets, and they're going, wow, here he is. This is one of the guys that was responsible for the creation of the World War II Memorial. Um, what did you see in the eyes of the veterans as they stood at attention, the national anthem is played, and then they, they walk around, they have those moments of camaraderie where they share stories. What, what's, what are you seeing in their eyes? How do they... 
How do they reveal their own stories to each other? It's interesting. Initially, in the early morning, um, they're they're anxious and nervous, and and they'll say something. You were in the army. I was in the army. <laughs> but as the day evolves, they can't wait to talk, and they talk with each other. They talk about where they serve, what they did, um, where they live. Um, imagine an eighty-five at the time where. Um, we had as young as 79 on the flight in 2008. Um, you know, imagine an 85-year-old that that has lost his wife, and now he's surrounded by fellas just like him. Mm-hmm. And they, they connect in so many different levels. I, I remember we were um, at the Freedom Wall, where every star represents 100 men or women mm-hmm. that served our country during World War II and lost their life. And there are 4,048 stars to represent over 400,000 that lost their lives. And this, th- these two vets are both in wheelchairs, and they're both looking at the Freedom Wall and crying. And one vet looks at the other, and he's a German veteran. And the German vet says, I'm, I'm really sorry for what we did. And the World War II vet, the American veteran, says, you did what you had to do, and we did what we had to do. And they shook hands, and then... One of them jumps up in a wheelchair, so this is getting all the guardians all riled up trying to make sure they're safe, and they end up hugging and saying, you know, we both did what we had to do so many years ago. And it's the closure that these veterans may have never had that is, to me, the greatest reward you could ever give. For so many people who've been on this trip, it can be therapeutic. It can release demons. Oh, absolutely. Um, Another example would be Harold Weir. Mm -hmm. Harold Weir uh, did not want to fly with us. He had no intention of flying with us, and his daughter wanted him to. And so she she filled out the application. She forged his name, and he was accepted and good to go. And that's when she informed him that, that the flight would be next week. And he reluctantly flew with us. And he had not talked to his family nor friends about anything during the war. But he served during the Battle of the Bulge. And he was wounded. And he was operated on by a German soldier without anesthesia. He was then sent to a Stalag, where he was for many months. And eventually, the Stalag just, the the Germans left, and he found himself free. He walked for many, many miles to safety, and finally was in the arms of American uh, soldiers. Uh, Flew back home and started a family, married. Not one day from that day forward did he sleep through the night. His wife said every night, because of PTSD, he would cry, he would scream, he, would, he, he could not sleep from all of the nightmares that he had. On this day, he was able to, to converse with many, many other veterans, many of whom have had PTSD. I don't even think they had that term back then. Right. Um, but have healed in their own ways. And his family uh, did mail call for him. And, and we're talking children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, neighbors, friends, the community uh, his daughter reached out to, everyone sent a letter of thanks to this veteran. 
And when the plane landed after an amazing day, thousands of people were there to greet him, especially his wife of many years and his children and his grandchildren. And he came, they all came back to the house, and he sat up most of the evening, late into the night, and shared stories of him during the war and what happened to him, stories that have never, ever been shared with his family. And went to bed, slept through the night. The next morning he awakened, and the family who had flown in from all over the country were there to greet him again and wanted to hear even more stories. And he shared stories with each and every one of them. And my favorite part was that he called on each one and shared what they meant to him and how much what he saw in them and how much he valued them. And they had this moment where he could talk to each and every one of them. And that night he went to bed and died in his sleep. And he died a happy man. He died free. He no longer had those demons. Uh, it, it sounds sad, but it was the, his daughter called crying, saying that her dad died, and it was the greatest day of his life, all in one breath. Um, those are the kind of days that provide the closure that our veterans need. That's incredible. Thera therapeutic for so Absolutely. many. And, and so often we hear them say that this, is, uh, this was the greatest day in my life. Uh, I don't mean to overstate that because they say that quite often. This was a day of cleansing and release and extremely important to uh, myself and my family. Absolutely. You've, you've heard that many times, haven't you? I've heard you? that so many times. And interesting, um, our guardians are people that we recruit, and they, they pay their own way. They take a class in order to be a guardian, and they attend the veteran all day. And it doesn't matter what the veteran needs. That's their job is to take care of it. Our guardians also say it's changed their lives. Um, for example, we had a guardian um, who was also a, a, a very good donor um, who was of Vietnam age, um, and one might call him a draft evader. Um, and his, his veteran was a Vietnam veteran. Mm. He was a little awkward about this. He was like, oh, he's going to ask how old I am, and one thing will lead to another. And they got along beautifully. And when it came time to visit the Vietnam Memorial, the guardian said, this is, our, this is your memorial. Let's go see it. And he said, I, I, can't, I can't go see it. There, Forty guys are on that wall that I served with, and I can't, I can't see it. I can't go. And, and the guardian convinced him to go, um, and he agreed to go reluctantly as long as he didn't read the names, as long as he he rode by, down in the wheelchair and back up again, and just had a chance to experience it. And he shared stories all day with the Guardian about the war and about how hard it was and how many guys that were his best friends he lost. Um, and after the flight, the veteran said it was bar none the greatest day of his life. But more importantly, the Guardian said, I was very much against the Vietnam War. But what I realized on this day was these guys are heroes. And it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not you believed in the war. These guys served our country, did their best, and many of them died doing so. And these are our heroes. So for, in this case, it changed the veteran's life as well as the guardian's life. Yeah, that's the salve for the wounds of Vietnam. 
the ability yes. to, to go and to be recognized for individual contribution, whatever the wisdom or lack of wisdom behind the Vietnam War was. And we see that all the time on the trips that I've been on um, with Vietnam vets, the one that I was on, um, the guy I was a guardian for said, give me a moment here. I just, he was four tours of duty as a CB and he saw some nasty stuff and he, uh, he said, just give me a little space. And I said, okay, fine, I'll be right over here. And he uh, just stood at the wall, struck a pose, leaned against the wall. You could feel the emotion from 20 feet away. He's putting his hands on the names and you don't know what's going through, your, through his head, but you can imagine. And then he looks my way, which is to signal me to come over, it's time to go. And he says, get me the hell out of here now. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did. of the trip that everyone remembers and we we kind of don't want to play our hand all the time is the mail call on the way home yes uh, all the ingredients have changed over time uh, but when when did that idea come about and whose idea was that was did you come uh, up with that uh, no I did not um, when we originally started we had a very large board and um, my daughter asked if she could attend a board meeting because she thought that would be fascinating. I talked about the board and the board and the board, and she asked if she could attend. And I, I said, it's, it's not appropriate. It's, it's a closed meeting for the 18 board members. And she said, what, what if I sit behind everyone? Like, just, just, I won't say a word. And so we agreed that she could sit by, asked the board, and they approved it, and she could sit behind as long as she didn't say a word. And, so the board meeting was um, one of our first, and it was about how we were inviting our veterans to fly. And we would call and invite them. They had filled out the application, but within an hour, we would get a call from their daughter or son saying, who the heck do you think you are? My father is 84, and he is not flying with some strangers to D.C. What are you trying to sell him, an annuity? <laughs> <laughs> and so our job was tripled in time because we had to not only invite the veteran and make sure we had all the medical information of the veteran, but also get it cleared by the veteran's wife, children, and sometimes grandchildren. And so we were com complaining, commiserating, trying to come up with ideas on how to fix this. And my daughter starts squirming in the background. And she is just squirming. And she's got her hand up like she's in school. And she's just trying to get attention. And, and we call on her. And she says, I have an idea. They do it in Catholic schools. And they send letters to their kid. And they, they tell them how much they mean to them. Let's do it for the veterans. And we could get the families involved. And then the veterans can get these letters. They love to read. And the families could know what this is all about by writing them and by connecting with us. What was the reception to the oh, idea? It was genius. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that summer, she took it on as an internship, and all of the mail, the, the deal was the mail had to come to our house. It couldn't come to Honor Flight Chicago's office because it would be too much. And we got initially, and I'm talking, if we had 100 veterans, there were 20 pieces of mail per veteran, and we flew every three weeks. So we had two to 3,000 pieces of mail coming in regularly per flight. And I mean, 
you know, it was... And of course, there was, was a staff of thousands available to read them, right? It's you and your daughter. It was my daughter and me going through it. Going, no, honey, that's the mortgage. Put that one over here. <laughs> Did you then realize that this is, be, this is getting so big and so demanding and so much fun and rewarding along the way? You keep working on it, but did you ever at a point in time say, this is really kind of getting to be too much for one person to handle? Oh, one of my favorite stories I have to share with you was American Taxi and Dispatch. They were um, they offered to pick up any veteran that couldn't get to the airport and return them back to their home. And they did this and have done this for every year, um, just genuinely caring of veterans, no tip required they they pay the the driver the tip they do everything um at one point a couple of years into flying they were told that they did not have a license for evanston and so we reached out just to our veterans that lived in evanston or world war ii veterans at the time and asked if they would attend a meeting uh, with the mayor to discuss whether or not they should have the privilege of of having a license in evanston and we reached out to 20 and 18 attended. Oh. And it was a small meeting of just maybe five other people. Um, I whispered to the mayor that it would be delightful if they could allow the 18 to speak because they had a short window between the time they walked into the room and the time they needed to go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and so the veteran, the mayor approved that. And each veteran got up and said how powerful it was to go on this trip and to have American Taxi drive them if, if they did, and how much it was necessary that American Taxi have this license. And after the fifth veteran that spoke, the mayor just put down her gavel and Gabbled said, it. yes, the license is, is it's, agreed it's good. to. Right, right. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Well, that's, a pre- that's an impressive presentation then. Oh, it was, it was very, and they, I mean, the other two were in the hospital or they would have attended. Every single veteran came out at, an, you know, seven o'clock at night to attend this meeting because of how much it meant to them to be on the trip. In, in your many long days and working to put this organization together, did you, at the conclusion of, of one of those days long ago, say, wow, this is growing so fast and getting so big, and we have so many volunteers coming on board now who want to help and who want to share an experience. Um, did you have that moment? I have it daily. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I mean, you know, we would reach out in D.C. and see if there was anyone that was willing to come out to the World War II Memorial, and there would be so many politicians it was hard to get our ceremony underway. Um, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Chief of Staff, General Milley came out, Colin Powell came out, Bob Dole came out regularly. Um, so many different, uh, uh, Donald Rumsfeld came out and spoke to them. Everyone wanted to say thanks and still continue. One of my favorites was at the Korean War Memorial Wall. We had a, a short ceremony right in front of the Lincoln, and then we all, we escorted all of our Korean War veterans to their memorial. And they were, they were sitting uh, for pictures where the sign read, um, our nation honors her sons and daughters who answered the call to defend a country they never knew and a people they never met. Right. And out of nowhere, a large contingency of Korean war vets from Korea, South Korea, came. And they all were just just together and chatting and talking about where they served and what they did. And, and it was American veterans and Korean war veterans that 
were from Korea all together and just saying thank you. It was, it was so powerful. You've learned a lot about human nature, I suspect, from this, this mission and sacrifice. When you give back, the person that you're giving back to feels good, but you feel even better. Uh, and it is contagious how many people want to give back. And, and some, you know, I'll reach out and ask for them for their help volunteering, and they'll say something like, you know, I'm not as good a volunteer. I'm a better businessman. I'll give you money. And we've had, uh, we've had people say, oh, sponsor a flight. My dad was honored. Um, we've had people that said, you know, my dad passed recently and in lieu of flowers, we'd like to have the people that attend the funeral, uh, give a donation to honor flight Chicago. Uh, we've had people connect us with their veterans group in their office. Um, many, many different ways that, that people can help us either financially or as a volunteer, um, or connecting us with a product that we use during the flight. For those who don't know, and I suspect most people do, who are familiar with Honor Flight Chicago, is the veterans go at no cost to them. So they go and they get their day of honor and thanks uh, by way of generosity of others, donations. So a big part of your mission has been banging the drum for financial contribution. And you've, I suspect you've found that people are generous beyond belief yes. for this cause. For this cause, they are very generous, um, very much so. We, uh, for instance, we had a donor that called to speak with me and to say how much he believed in our cause. I don't believe he ever served. He did not want to meet with me. He did not want to ha for me to take the time to meet with him that could otherwise be spent raising money for another flight. But once a year, he volunteered one or two flights completely paid for. And all he asked was our wiring instructions. And he did not want to have his name read out loud. He wanted to be seen as the anonymous donor that wanted to give back to the men and women who continue to, to protect his freedom. That's no small contribution. Huge. Yeah. mission is changing somewhat now. Um, our World War II vets are in their mid to late 90s. Uh, Korean vets are not far behind. Vietnam vets are not spring chickens anymore. So the mission kind of is changing. How do you see going forward for Honor Flight Chicago? Well, interestingly, Honor Flight Chicago, the, the original goal was to fly our World War II veterans, right? And then our World War, actually, one of the funny stories, are, um, the mail would come to me in all the applications. and I was opening them up, and when we announced that we were going to begin flying, we had 35 applications the first day. And I'm opening them up eagerly, trying to figure, okay, this one goes here. And of the 35, 17 of them, were not World War II veterans. Mm. So that was the first, like, the question on the app said, activity during World War II, and they would write grammar school. <laughs> and that was the first time that I realized that this was much bigger than any of us could, 
could imagine. Mm -hmm. So how has it evolved since that day and since we began flying World War II and then World War II in Korea and now World War II Korea and Vietnam? We realized it's much bigger than the flight. Uh, we're connecting families with their own loved ones that may not have connected in such a way. Um, we've been told by veterans that they're more respected and honored and that their grandkids realize that they haven't always been 95, that one day, many years ago, they were 17, left mom and dad and went halfway around the world to defend our freedoms. And, and lied about their age and in lied doing about so. their age in doing so exactly. And the seventeen-year-old kid that's been, you know, the, as the grandfather would say, the snot-nosed kid, right? Um, realized that that his grandfather was a rock star. Mm -hmm. uh, so families have deeper respect. Neighbors. I remember this one veteran saying, um, "My next-door neighbor only knew me as the curmudgeon that always yelled um, when their kids were on my lawn." Right. Get off and my lawn. Now, they know me as an American hero. I thought that was such a great way to put it. That's like, special. Um, so families, neighbors, friends, the community at large, people, you know, they now wear their hat proudly, where for many years they did not. Uh, you know, Vietnam veteran hat, and people will walk up and say, thank you for your service. Uh, Korean War veteran uh, hat, the Forgotten War. Mm -hmm. Many people just didn't, you know, they, as one veteran said, they called it a conflict. When they're shooting at you, it's, it's a, a war. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, so I believe um, that thanks to Honor Flight Chicago and many other Honor Flight hubs, our whole nation has been educated and taught to honor and respect America's veterans. So ways that we do that, and we've been doing this since 2008, since we began, is we give speeches at schools. So the veterans, uh, they're doing a study in social studies on World War II and will provide a survivor of, of um, Pearl Harbor, D-Day, Battle of the Bulge. Um, and the teachers reach out to us now and say, can you help us with this? Can you make this real for the kids that are reading their history books? Um, PE teachers have asked us to, to actually come in and give a speech about how far they walked during the Battle of the Bulge and where they served. Um, and, and then they do a, a you know, at-school project on trying to walk in the steps of a Vietnam veteran or a Korean War veteran and how many steps one took to get from point A to point B back then in, during the war, you know, in, in sub-zero temperatures in Korean War. Um, so many different schools have reached out to us and asked for help. We've now actually made it into part of our organization called Operation Education. Back then it was just loosely formed and, and we did many different speeches and outreach. But now we have Operation Education for our middle school and high schoolers. Um, it's been important for years, but even more important now that e-learning is in existence. And so the teacher would, may assign a project on the Vietnam War and to, to study about it, read about it, and then through podcasts and through videos, they'll learn more firsthand experiences on from a Vietnam vet about the war um, that, that brings it home to them instead of just reading about, and then you did this, and then this happened, and this happened. They can, they can actually hear from, the, from a veteran who served in Vietnam what they went through. 
The homecoming at Midway is just enormously powerful. It's the end of a long day. They walk off the plane. The, the Navy cadets are there. People are cheering. The band's playing. It's, it's almost overwhelming. And when a number of vets have come off, some of the older fellas are, are really so taken by this whole moment that they burst into tears. You've seen it's that not, many times, haven't you? It's amazing. It really is amazing. They burst into tears or they skip off the plane like they were 17 again. Right, right. You know, I had one veteran who was in a wheelchair, and um, the wheelchair, he stayed in the wheelchair all day. The wheelchair went onto a ramp, and he lifted it up, up onto the bus, and we strapped down the wheelchair, and all day he was in the wheelchair. And at the end of the day, he says to me, I'm walking off this darn plane, young lady. <laughs> and so he had gotten wind of the welcome home, and there was no way he was going to be in a wheelchair. So we had a sailor on the left, a sailor on the right, and we had one behind him just gently holding his belt just in case both legs gave out from under him. And he walked proudly through a line, probably four, 5,000 people, shook every person's hand he could possibly shake. And at the very end of this long parade of, of bands playing and, and people singing and, and flags waving and posters being held and little, ki- little girls with daisies handing it to each veteran, uh, was his wife of 50, 60 years sitting in a wheelchair with her oxygen saying, I'm here to pick up my hero and wearing a, a boot and a corsage on her wrist. It was very, very sweet. And you couldn't have been more proud. And he posed for pictures for the next hour with his whole family. There's so many things going on for the leader. You've got all kinds of things on your mind. Have you been able on a number of occasions to just sit back like that moment and just suck it all in? and really be able to appreciate the gravity of the emotion and the impact that you have on the, on the veterans when they come home. Yes, but not as much as the next day. The next day, the memories flood me. I, I'll give you an example. I, I invited this one veteran that I had met at a gardening store, and um, he was very funny, actually. He said, yeah, yeah, I'll go, but I, I can tell you, I, I don't emote. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you don't, you don't need to emote. We just like to honor you. And no. He goes, okay, fine. Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> so he went on the flight, and, and uh, a couple of times I was able to catch up with him, and, and he was like, yeah, yeah, it's real nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice day. The next day the phone rings, and it's Bob, Bob P., I'm going to call him. And he goes, yeah, uh, Mary, Mary, this is Bob. And I'm, I'm just calling to tell you. That was, that was the greatest day of my life. <laughs> and literally, he called three times to get that out. He kept on hanging up and calling back and hanging up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was very yeah. sweet. Very, yeah. very sweet. He obviously did not want to emote, but it, it really moved him. He sure did plenty of emoting <laughs> on the phone then, didn't he? It moved him. Well, this has been a difficult year because of coronavirus, and the obvious is that we've had to cancel all the flights this year. Uh, next year, we don't know. That's tough to, to take, isn't it? You have to roll with the punches, and I think people have understood the situation, have they not? Yes, every, I think every veteran and their family understands the situation. Um, I saw a veteran recently, he was wearing a Semper Fi jacket, and, and I said, you know, I have to ask, are you a Vietnam vet? And he goes, proudly. 
And cool. I said, oh, I said, I'd love to get you on, on an honor flight. And he said, no, 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 I've already got their masks. I was supposed to fly this year. He said, I already bought two masks. And I said, oh, that's great. That's great. You've got the Honor Flight Chicago masks? And he said, yeah. He said, but I don't want to wear them because, you know, I don't deserve to wear them until I fly. Are you kidding? And I said to him, Ted, <laughs> this is not deserving to wear them. If you wear them, hopefully you can help us find other veterans that right. we can honor also. Sure. And absolutely you deserve to wear it. So um, it's it's been a hard year. It's been fascinating, though, in the sense that um, we have over 1,400 volunteers, volunteers from all over the country that either fly into D.C. to act as a guardian or help us in the office, either remotely or in person. And we've asked our volunteers different ways that they can help. For instance, um, during the height of COVID in March to May, uh, when toilet paper and paper towels were at a premium, our volunteers would ring the doorbell of a World War II vet or a Korean War vet or a Vietnam vet and leave a four-pack of toilet paper <laughs> with a note saying, thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> or paper towels and toilet paper. Sure. Or uh, one veteran um, loves his old fashions, so they left the ingredients for an old fashion out on his stoop just in case he didn't get to get to the liquor store. <laughs> um, so our volunteers have been very active in unique ways. We have birthday parades. We have a veteran uh, today who's he's turning 90, a Korean War veteran, who is a, an Olympic athlete, a, a medalist. Um, and so many different volunteers have reached out to him just to say happy birthday and sent a card. We have post signs that we put on the yard that says a World War II veteran lives here, a, a proud Korean War veteran lives here. And the whole family poses around these signs. And maybe dad's inside just for safety reasons looking out. Pictures of dad looking out at a sign or saluting at attention. Um, so it's all the different ways, operation education, all the different ways that we can continue, even though we're not flying, to say thank you. When you stepped back as CEO and, uh, and returned as a member of the board, that was a period of transition in your life, which and it, it's hard for anybody after having been high energy for so many years. This is your baby. Was that a difficult thing for you to do? Initially, it was difficult until we found the right people. And we've got two really great people that are running Honor Flight Chicago, and I couldn't be more proud. We've got Doug Meffley and Edna Ho, and they're doing a beautiful job. Uh, so at that point, it became much easier. And now it's, it's, it's more fun in many ways because I can see it now through the joy and not necessarily... Um, the the logistics challenge of something. Yeah, um, you you can you can feel the the emotion instead of worrying about whether the wheelchairs are getting back in the proper location. Uh, for instance, the the World War II and the and the German veteran, mm -hmm. you know, that was such a powerfully poignant moment. My concern was that the World War II veteran would pop out of his wheelchair without the the feet put up and fall down. <laughs> right, right. So, so those kind of things that sometimes are lost, uh, you lose the emotion for concern about the welfare. Mm -hmm. Mary, you done good. Thank you, Paul. And uh, I won't say no to you. 
<laughs> Nor should anyone else, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks so much. All of us in Honor Flight Chicago wish you peace and joy this holiday season with hope for good health and happiness in the new year. As we said before, a resumption of flights, which would be our fondest hope, will depend on what the science tells us. We hope you found today's Honor Thank Inspire episode to be moving and meaningful. If you did, please consider sharing this podcast and make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The impact Honor Flight Chicago has on the lives of our veterans and their families is made possible by the generosity of our donors. To support our mission, to find our veteran application, to volunteer, or simply for more information, please visit us at honorflightchicago.org. <laughs>